This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome back to another episode of Millennial Money. We got lots of things to talk about because the market's been real funny. We got Congress being Congress and not getting anything done. We got crypto, which is basically going to zero. And uh, we got the stock market, which yesterday tried going to zero. But today everybody's like, nah, buy, buy the dip. So what's going on out there? What, what are you guys all up to? Kevin, do you think I made a mistake by buying the dip yesterday? Uh, it depends what you bought. Like there's some things that were worth buying. Uh, you know, the market obviously bounced back today. Uh, I, you know, I think this is just the kind of market where everybody's got so much money. I kind of can't blame just dollar cost averaging. Just keep buying, buying as you get money, because I don't think we're getting any mega dips anytime soon because we just keep getting these little pansy dips and, uh, and, and then they get bought up again right away. Yeah. If you look at the chart for the last year and a half, almost. We go up, we dip about three to five percent. Gets bought up, we go to a new high, dips three to five percent. Go yep. up, new high, three to five percent. The thing is, I know for me psychologically, if, if I see a three to five percent dip, I'm all on it. Even if it dips, <laughs> oh, yeah. well, I'm still buying more. But I think everyone is like, oh, it's a bit of a discount now. This is it, and they're going to buy it. everybody. The the interesting thing about today, though, guys, was you know I, I when I went to bed, which you guys know I go to bed super late, like one a.m. I looked at futures. Dow futures were up probably almost four hundred points at that time. And yeah. I don't know where the market. It looked like it was going to be a great day in the market, right? And then I don't know if you guys saw, but the Dow finished down today. So that just shows that there was obviously also a lot of selling pressure that came in. So I think you're so you just sad because Tattoo uh, Chef was down. <laughs> well, then I must be permanently sad, right? Because oh. <laughs> you guys want to share what we're buying now or towards the end of the video? Oh, we got to save that toward end. We got so much oh, big right. stuff. I, think, I think, feel like we got bigger fishes to fry tonight around this uh, Evergrande situation. <laughs> Evergrande? What? More like Ever Venti. <laughs> Ariana Evergrande. $300 billion in debt, please. Um, yeah, okay. I mean, that situation's man, China's a mess right now. It seems like it just can't get out of its own way. Uh, Grant, I really liked your video how uh, about the Evergrande, that was really good. I, I can you can someone explain because I know you guys do a lot of real estate. How does a company 
get $300 billion in debt. Like I know they roll over debt from one project into the next, but that sounds like an insane amount of leverage. Yep, they also own a lot of real estates. They have a lot of development. They were selling a lot of projects and it makes sense when the market is strong that they're gonna leverage as much as they can because they wanna take over as quickly as possible. $300 billion is a lot, but I think for the for the level of construction that they were operating on, I mean, they made up a significant portion of residential property in China. Hmm. Yeah, I, and that's the thing. The... Like, pe people are always like, "Oh, hey, Kevin, what what's it like being, you know, ten million dollars in debt or whatever?" It's like, you know, well, that's when you have twenty million dollars of real estate. It's like that's actually not that big of a deal, right? That's kind of low. It sounds like a lot. So, like, it it all comes down to what the value of the properties is. The problem with Evergrande is you've got this this uh, uh, development company that's way behind on many of their projects. And so now, you know, you've got loans uh, based on construction deadlines and, and uh, projects getting sold. But when things aren't getting done, yeah, you start missing your payments. That That's where the big problem is. Uh, not, I think less the amount. I think the amount does sound very scary, though, because if it all comes down collapsing, yeah, then the question becomes, okay, it is so much that affect everything but uh yeah i, I wonder the big thing for me is like wh why <laughs> like how, how does it get to this point andre and graham quick question for you guys could you imagine owning 20 million dollars of real estate in uh, a state run by gavin newsom who would do that <laughs> who, who would who would even who would? think about doing that honestly <laughs> well, i don't know man <laughs> But I, I guess to, to Graham's point on his video, I think he mentioned um, BlackRock manages, what, $9 trillion of assets under management. So like you said, $300 billion might not be that much. But does anyone yeah, know? Yeah. All right, bankroll. Are we going there? <laughs> Jeremy was showing off his coffee, so uh, I had to. Well, I, I, was, I, was, I was showing this off because bros. I don't know if you guys have been keeping track, but it's a hot IPO. <laughs> oh, Andre, have you got a Mew? No, there's a Mew in here. Maybe I ate it on accident. Oh, yeah. How did we just go from Evergrande to coffee and oh. then Mew? We're coming back. Oh, we're coming oh, back. Oh, wait, hold on. Did you oh, see what? that TikTok of this kid? He, like, took out the cookies and he put them into this little plastic container. And he's like, ooh, this one's a PSA 6 because the cream <laughs> is too big. <laughs> and then he's like, this is a PSA 10. That's a perfect cookie. Anyway, these are delicious. That was that was us last night. We got a PSA 10 Mew. The Mews are selling on eBay for five hundred to a thousand dollars. No way. Yes. Yes. So what? And with that being said, sell all your stocks, your real estate, your crypto. Buy those dang Pokemon Oreos, guys. Get the Mews and let's go. I got two more cookies in here. Hmm. All right, let's get so, back to the topic. Okay. Yeah. Evergrande. What were you saying there, Andre? <laughs> no, I was just saying that $300 billion in relation to how much do they have in assets? Do you guys know? I don't know the total number of assets, but when you were talking about how much other companies have, like let's say BlackRock, $9 trillion. I think they have $385 million of that in uh, Evergrande. Uh, that represents one half of 1%. So it's like the average yeah. person investing 50 cents for every hundred dollars they have. So in relation to how much a lot of the US companies have, it's really not that much. Right, so for people tuning in who are not sure what we're talking about, so there's this Evergrande, not Evergrande situation is that basically getting people scared that this could affect the global markets. 
So I guess we could talk about that now and debate whether this is something that's going to really affect the world or if this is just something that people are just spreading FUD, right? I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I think it starts with, do we think there's a bubble in the Chinese real estate market? The Chinese yeah. real estate market is valued at something like $52 trillion, okay? And in a lot of big cities, keep this in mind, in a lot of big cities, the ratio of a person's income versus a real estate they're buying is over 40x. So that seems so ridiculously unsustainable, right? Like in the US, like usually it's what, maybe 4x to 6x your yearly income is, uh, you know, wherever you live. When we start talking about, I think in, in China, in average, it's like 27x or 29x or something like that. These numbers seem insane. And so I think it really starts with, is there a huge bubble in China? And if so, is that bubble going to pop? And if it does pop, does that affect us at all? And does that hurt our banking system or is China pretty contained over there? And um, that's hard. That's a hard thing to know because it, it's hard to know exactly who's got loans with who, who would fail in these situations. I feel like oh. it doesn't affect us that much personally, um, but I'm not going to say it won't have any effect um, over here. All right. So let me send you this. Uh, Kevin, are you operating the, the video monitors? Yes, I can. So Anything you need. Yeah, so I found this article, which I thought was pretty interesting. So I tried to look at kind of like the exposure of this stuff and like what metric we can look at to see how, I guess, contagious Ooh, yeah. this problem is. And mm -hmm. the closest thing I was able to find is something called the credit default swap uh, index, which is tracked by HSBC. And I don't know if you can scroll down, Kevin, you can see that there's a there's a graph down there. And so basically, uh, when the pandemic happened, we can see that people are buying these uh, credit default swaps. And basically, they're, they're kind of like, I guess, insurances against people who are holding bonds. So one of the ways that Evergrande raises money is they issue bonds, right? And if you're an investor in this company, you might be scared right now. You're like, oh, this company's going under. I better protect myself. I better buy some insurance. And so one of the ways that people do this is through buying credit default swaps. And according to this article, um, you can see we've actually hit an inflection point around September 17th or 18th. Right here. And people yeah. are buying up. People are buying up credit default swaps. So you can see that it's actually going up. Now we don't know how high it's gonna go, but according to this article, around the 50 mark area is when we need to get concerned uh, that it's actually gonna affect you know the entire world. So, so that's the closest index I was able to find as far as like how affected by this we would be, but that's a really good index to pay attention to. There might be some better ones, but. Well, what happened back in October of 2020 when it went to 60? Yeah, so this is, so people were taking then. out, you know, so people were taking out uh, insurances against their bonds because they were afraid the market's going to tank even more. And I guess when it turned out that it wasn't going to be that bad, people started to sell that off. And then we kind of traded sideways and now it's coming back up again because of this, because of this fear. So I guess, I guess we'll see where it goes. But yeah, this is interesting to me. I'm, uh, I mean, this was Monday and, and Monday was really the peak of this disaster. Right. Uh, so it makes me wonder if like, if, I'm going to try to see if I could pull this up today. Maybe I'll try to go in the Bloomberg and see if I can pull this up for today, because if I could get today, and what if it's inflected back down, right? Because we mm -hmm. had such a such a so much chest pain on Monday because of this whole issue, uh, and uh, you know 
hey, if, if we can, uh, if this inflects down, maybe this isn't that big of a deal. Right. So I guess the next question is, does, does China let, you know, their company fail? And I just, I don't see that happening. I think if anything, they probably don't care as much for international investors. So if you're an international person who's, you know, buying bonds of this company, I don't know, maybe you won't do so well, but I just don't see them letting this company fail. I don't know. The, the other argument is that they don't, they don't want to use, they, they won't, they want to use this as an example of like, don't do this. This is why we don't like capitalism because this is what's going to happen. So right. almost in essence, if they just let it play out, they could use that to their advantage and, uh, almost use them as an example of just what to stay away from. Hmm. So that, that's the counter argument. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Jeremy, what do you think? Do you think China's going to come bail them out? Um, probably because uh, there's probably some systemic risk there, right? If they go down, maybe another goes down. Maybe suppliers start going down left and right. Uh, another stock um, went down 87%, kind of a smaller Evergrande uh, yesterday. I can't remember the name of that one uh, off the top of my head, but down 87% yesterday. And so, and also keep in mind, the Chinese don't really like stocks very much. Where they put their money is in real estate. That has always been the thing, right? And there's, a, there's kind of a cultural thing about owning real estate that's actually much more powerful in China than it is in the States. And in the States, we think we're all about home ownership, right? It, it's way more powerful over there. So I think um, there's a high probability they'll bail them out and kick the can down the road more as they've done a million times before, which maybe just sets it up into be even a bigger bubble long term, right? Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of my two cents. What do you, yeah, what do you think? If they allow Evergrande to fail, would that affect their real estate prices? You think, uh, pretty substantially? Cause if that's the case, I don't imagine them allowing that to happen. Cause like you said, Jeremy, culturally that real estate's a pretty big thing over there and I don't see them just I mean, being like, yeah, sure. Let, let real estate prices to. fall. It'd have to affect the real estate market. Cause you have to think, uh, both how many projects they have under construction that are unfinished. Who's going to finish those projects? 22% uh, of properties in, I, for, I forget the area, were vacant because people were just parking their money there and they were buying anything they could because that was just a safe place to stash it away. But no intention of living there. It was just the intention of buying it and then being able to sell it for later in the, for, for more in the future. So I think between the combination of having a lot of unfinished properties, a lot of vacant units, a lot of money in real estate, who's going to be left to, to bolster up those prices? They have to fall. One, one, other, one other factor here, if we're thinking about will China bail them out or not, is let's be honest, they love construction companies in China. They've been building ghost cities for a million years over there yeah. you know, recently. And because um, think about it, it provides a ridiculous amount of jobs. Even the Evergrande, uh, they, they were saying something like they support 3.8 or 3.7 million indirect jobs a year because of all the construction workers, right? And China loves that because it gets a lot of people that might be in rural places to the cities, gets them in the economic system out of just farming and gets them doing something, right? So if all that, if Chinese real estate shuts, you know, down in a major way, like it did here in the United States, uh, you know, that might be 20 million, 50 million, 100 million jobs are actually affected, you know, by a situation like that in China. So what, what are you thinking here, Kevin? I think the Chinese government 
would be more than happy to let these people fail and use them as an example. <laughs> I don't think the contagion would be as bad as expected. I think it'll be bad, but uh, I, you know, I think the Chinese guy, I was reading uh, and I've read about this. I actually studied this in, in uh, college uh, political science. The Chinese government is all about the community and uh, they don't really like or, or want, in my opinion, entrepreneurs to succeed. It's, it's whether it's their culture, or, or teachings or, or whatever that's just the the image of sort of the communist party i don't think that's necessarily shared by all of the people in china uh, at least maybe not anymore uh, i think things have become very americanized but uh I, I i could see this being a perfect example and honestly i don't think they're going to fail i think that uh, whether whether or not they make their payment now or what doesn't matter so much what i think matters more is what's going to happen longer term with their debt. I think the uh, public markets in China are going to realize, holy crap, if we don't help Evergrande, then uh, then we're probably all going to be subject to a whole lot more regulation. Because to me, th that's what this is. This is a an inflection point for regulation. This is the Chinese government is probably just sitting there going, uh-huh, let's see if y'all can figure it out. And if you can't, we got the stick. We'll take, we've been taking it out against Alibaba. We've taken it out against Jack Ma. We've been taking it against Didi, you know, the ride-sharing company. We'll take it out against you guys too. Uh, yeah. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the private markets figure out how to solve this by refinancing that debt or extending some new loan terms to Evergrande. And uh, they end up figuring this out and, and this this whole thing just, just evaporates. Got it. So you're, what you're saying is, I guess, uh, My thoughts. the government wants them to <laughs> fail, but the private sector won't let them. I don't think the government wants them to fail. I think if they do fail, it would end up proving that uh, their their experiment didn't work, so to speak, right? The, the public market experiment doesn't work as well uh, without government intervention. That, that, yes. that makes, yeah, that makes a lot of sense there, Kevin. It's just then China puts themselves at that risk of the entire real estate market collapsing over there in one domino leads to another and another and another. And maybe, maybe they step in at some point and save the day, right? But do you, do you really think they're going to let that happen? Um, well, or do you think it's just not that big of a deal? Graham, you, I didn't watch it. Did, you said you did a video on this or whatever. Like what, yeah. what, what do, do we have the details as to what properties they actually own? Because if these are properties in development and they're not actually complete properties, is this even competition for the real estate market? I mean, yeah. look, if there's, if there's a development, you know, 20 miles from me and they're going to build 200 more homes and people have deposits on them. Uh, and all of a sudden that developer goes bankrupt and those people with deposits on those homes need to go buy other homes. That does the complete opposite thing. It doesn't actually hurt the real estate market. If anything, it adds more competition to the real right. estate market because you have less supply, right? Yeah. My understanding is that a lot of the properties are unfinished. People right. have deposits on unfinished properties. Who knows whether they're going to get that back. But there is a lot in the pipeline that's just not getting done. Yeah. And Kevin, one more thing. I think uh, I think an, a big reason why Evergrande has gotten in this massive situation is um, basically the, the massive almost hyperinflation in materials costs. And yes. they were yeah, when they have that much debt and from my understanding, the, the margins in the construction business in, in China are razor thin. And then yeah. all of a sudden, everything goes up massively in price. They're in a, they're in a real pickle, and they can't pay suppliers, from my understanding, which is um, obviously means they're they're in construction on properties, and they just can't finish them because they just don't have the money. So, 
See, that I agree a lot with. I think that uh, it's very likely that, look, construction, I think no matter where you are, is low margin. It's it's wrought with problems, uh, or fraught with problems. You've, you're dealing on human labor. Uh, uh, people in, in China are much more afraid of COVID uh, than we as Americans are. And so you're much more likely to shut down, stay at home, not come to work, add in supply chain issues and delays for getting things like furnaces or sheet metal or copper or whatever for your properties. Yeah, look, you you got, in my opinion, uh, the, the perfect recipe for disaster. And if at the same time you've got a bunch of loans and you can't get the product out the door, makes sense to me. Totally makes sense. I, I actually don't think it's necessarily a lack of regulation. I think, uh, I mean, it potentially could be the fact that they were able to get so many projects underway. So maybe I take that back. The fact that they were able to get so much debt with so many unfinished projects, to me, seems a little crazy uh you know probably maybe, maybe that is where you need a little bit more regulation where it's kind of like hey before you can take out you know x dollars of debt on uh on, on construction projects let's make sure you're at least 80 percent through in this phase and 50 percent through in this phase you know so we know we've got some falling off at the end that are actually going to start paying these loans off that's kind of what we do here in america and i'm way oversimplifying but uh yeah that that to me is is interesting how how uh they, they could load up uh but i do agree the, on the inflation issue contributing to this substantially. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I also wonder what the, you know, China's done to help out the citizens. Have they done stimulus payments? If so, how big have those stimulus payments been? Uh, what's the consumer looking like in China? Or they may be missing payments or people that put down deposits on some of these uh, Evergrande, Evergrande properties. Are they in a situation where now they can't fulfill their obligations? Kind of similar to what happened in, in, you know, here in 2007, 2008, people that, you know, were buying properties. The next thing you know, we're foreclosed on. Is, are we getting into any of that over there? And it's it's a little bit of a black box in China, right? They, they don't really, um, you know, we don't know how much truth is coming out. And um, I think th those are valid questions. I don't know if you guys have an answer to any of those around like what the Chinese have done for stimulus for, for anybody or anything as far as that goes. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. they had Alibaba donate 15, 15 and a half billion to their prosperity fund. Yeah. Out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Po political lobbying it. at its finest. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't regulate us anymore. We're good people. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I think what you're asking is like Chinese household, uh, like uh, household savings, and and like how how affected are buyers right now? Uh, so that would be interesting. I'm going to look into that right now. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, you got a situation where here where a lot of the Chinese don't like stocks, and on top of that, there's more distrust in the Chinese stock market and with China stocks than ever before with Alibaba situation, with uh, education stocks, with a, you know a lot of stocks that. I think the Chinese are going to have even more trust issues putting their money in stocks. Now, if the rock solid, super safe real estate market starts to have real fears, if you're in China, like where do you put your money? And maybe this bodes really well for the U.S. markets over time because people are going to see this that have money in China are going to say, dude, I got to get out of this place and I got to get over to the States or Europe or somewhere where I can invest in, you know, uh, maybe I at least get a return on investment. So... Well, and that's another reason I think the U.S. market is not uh, really falling. Like when there are dips, people just buy, 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 because it's not just uh, Americans who have extra cash or a ton of extra cash sitting around. I think it's also uh, uh, people from other countries that are like, oh, geez, if we've got the Evergrande problem in China, well, let's just go invest in the United States stock market. So I see, I see that happening a lot. Yeah, and I guess the bigger concern isn't necessarily Evergrande failing. It's about 
the reaches and the impacts that it would have on other companies that have lent them money. And if those companies don't have the liquidity and the money that they're owed, how does that affect the rest of the global markets, especially in crypto? If that, what does that mean for liquidity? What does that mean for the stablecoin market? I mean, that, that's, that's going to be a really interesting way that things are going to go down. So that's really the bigger issue. It's not necessarily Evergrande itself. It, it's about all the other companies that, you know, are waiting for their money. Yeah. And did you hear, Andre, uh, Evergrande owns three, uh, $30 billion worth of Bitcoin. They're set to sell it off tomorrow. Did you hear about that? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. I'm still, yeah, I'm still researching it, but it, are it's, you kidding? It, it's, it's, I no, 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 I, no, no. The, what you're talking about is there's rumor that Evergrande holds quite a bit of, um, tether. So, yes. I heard about, I heard about the tech. Andre, oh, actually, wow. you want to explain this? I didn't have a chance to research this at all. I don't have the full story yet, so I'm not oh, going to just like rattle it, it off. Wow. No. We're I, go to I, you. I, so I read a little bit about this. My understanding is Tether holds, uh, and this is one of the big criticisms of Tether. Uh, Tether uh, says that uh, for every dollar of Tether that exists, they have a dollar of money invested somewhere. And a lot of these investments are uh, corporate or commercial paper, basically. But we, we don't have full clarity on exactly where that money is. Uh, is it in actually safe companies? Uh, is it in, uh, uh, you know, like if you put uh, paper, paper could be treasury bonds. If you have treasury bonds as your paper, that's pretty safe. I mean, even though we always debate like defaulting on our debt, we, we rarely do, right? I mean, in fact, we've never defaulted on our payments. We never have before and we never expect to. But, uh, you know, if the commercial paper they're holding is uh is is evergrand and they go bankrupt that paper becomes worthless that could lower the amount of net assets that tether has and potentially break the dollar of sort of the tether stablecoin which the last thing you want to do is break the dollar of that stablecoin this is why when you have stablecoins and this is why we have so much talk about stablecoin regulation you want a regulator you want a regulator who looks and goes yep they actually have a dollar for every dollar of coin they say they do, rather than just a dollar of an investment that oops went to zero and now they only have ninety cents on the dollar, right? So, that's, so that's I guess it. it's kind of like the case of uh, exposing the emperor who has no clothes, right? So the, I guess we're about to find out if you know this this company has a ton of tether, and if tether collapses, then that could lead to a huge problem, and then further down the line, regulations from you know the Chinese government, well, the U.S. government. That's really the let me problem. ask you this. Let's say that that even Tether does lose a lot of money. Who's to say that they don't have enough to cover the people who need to cash out? I mean, really, what would expose Tether is if everyone wants their money all at the exact same time. How many people right. are realistically wanting to cash out of Tether? They could very easily have enough cash on hand to pay off a few of the people. Where meanwhile, they're continually getting more and more and more money in. They could they could print as much of it as they want. Sure. Um, I don't know how, how much they have on their balance sheet and how much of it is not attached to assets, how much of it is. Yeah, I, I don't know the numbers behind it. Yeah, they don't even know the numbers. No, nobody knows the numbers. I wish no. we did. But yeah. So what's what's worst case scenario here, guys, you know, uh, in regards to specifically the, the tether crypto situation? Are we talking about like a 20 percent sell off? Like like I'm trying to understand, like the worst case scenario, because I think that's what people want to mentally prepare for if it was to happen. Well, nobody knows exactly what could happen, but I imagine that if if something like this were to happen, then then the market would crash. What's Bitcoin at right now? Like forty thousand dollars, forty two thousand. I think, think forty two one. 
22, it's going up right? a little bit right now because there's talk that Evergrande's going to make their payment uh, on the 23rd. I'm still trying to verify if that's true. Yeah, so 42. I could see the market if, like, the worst was to happen, though. I'm, I'm talking about worst case scenario. I would see 50%. 50%. Oh, yeah, so back down to 20. 20. Back down yeah. to 20. Okay. But I mean, nobody knows. I'm not saying that, that that's what will happen. Yeah. And, I, and I know the answer. But based on everything we know and based on the, gosh, what was the model name? See, and, totally and this crazy. is where this is where we get into, you know, uh, back to uh, where we started. Oh, yeah. This is where we get back to where we all started tonight, right? Where we're trying to figure out, does this thing bleed over into the United States? Do we suffer because of this, right? No. And all of a sudden, you're talking about Bitcoin falls 30%, 50%, whatever. People are a lot poorer that own crypto, right? Andre, you're not quite feeling as good about yourself. Graham, you're not quite feeling as good about yourself. Voyager's probably at two bucks, so I'm not feeling as good about myself, right? <laughs> like we're, we're all, I'm we're feeling all great, crazy. man. This is my buy the yeah, dip. I don't know. Talk, speak for yourself, man. I'm doing well. No, well, you're... Doing now you're gonna feel poor real quick because you guys have been going all in this crypto, your Chuck E. Cheese coins. <laughs> Evergrande is gonna take you guys down to the Chinatown. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. No, in all seriousness, but for real, like that's the stuff that bleeds over. And then if you're talking about crypto falls massively, then folks like yourself, you have to figure out: Do you want to put money in the stock market or crypto market? Let's say you buy crypto; that's less money for stocks. Then do stocks start falling, right? If stocks start falling, folks like myself are more hurt, right? And we're right. not as likely to go buy stuff or buy assets because we're getting hurt. Then you could have margin calls, you could have options expiring, liquidity crises. Sure, but okay. So if that were to happen, and and we can we can make the round here. Uh, if that were to happen, I think crypto would be the better buying opportunity than stocks than anything else, just because they are so much more volatile and they drop so much further that I think they give a bigger discount. So if you want the best bang for your dollar, so to speak, I would go with crypto if something like that were to happen, because I just don't see stocks falling, especially because of this, more than what, 10% correction, 15%, like 20%. That would be crazy. I don't think we'd ever get that far. But crypto, realistically, we could get a 50% drop. If that's the case, I would rather, you know, put my money into crypto because I just think that's going to give you the bigger return. So you're going to find the bigger discount there. What about you? I don't know. I'd never, I'd never pick one or the other. I don't know. I, I, if it were me, I'd probably split it 80, 20, maybe mm -hmm. 85, 15, 15% crypto, 85% stocks. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Why not During more? Like that, why, why limit yourself to one or the other? What do you mean? What? Because crypto is going to give you the bigger return, way bigger if it's a 50% drop. I mean, if if you're right, if stocks would have crashed 50% as well, in that case, it'd be hard to pick. But I don't see stocks crashing more than crypto if that was the case. I don't know. I, I think they could very well balance each other out. So I would rather hedge it. And that's what oh. I've been doing. I mean, consistently, I've been just investing... A, regular amount every single day into Bitcoin. And then actually I've been switching it. Sometimes it's Bitcoin. Sometimes it's Ethereum. I switch yeah. back and forth every day. I'm just buying something. Did you guys buy the dip today or yesterday? I, did. I know Graham, you said you did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, did. I did. And then I saw Kevin's video about going, going all cash, going <laughs> cash heavy. Well, I sold all my crypto and then I started buying it back on the dip. It was great. So now I'm lowering my cost basis. <laughs> nice, nice. That's smart. 
That's no, smart. It was, it was a, it's a trade. Uh, you know, it, like it, it and, could, that's not always the problem is like you could sell and, and then it could run uh, and, and then the opposite happens. Right. But. Uh, and it's good to do it now because they're, they're looking at getting rid of that. Right. They're, they're getting uh, rid of the, uh, the, the wash, wash sale loophole. So. Yeah, <laughs> but that impl- that assumes I had losses. I had I had big tendy gains. <laughs> oh, you so did. Good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but it's okay. Like I've I've just come to accept that uh, uh, on some on some things and some assets, I'm going to be paying taxes. Uh, and like crypto for me, I, I like trading. There's certain stocks I like trading. There are certain stocks I just buy and hodl. Like most of my JP Morgan, I just whatever's in there just hold it which is a lot of like apple amazon etsy redfin tesla right kind of like those those core things in my portfolio uh and like those things have such low cost bases where it's just like no 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 i, I don't want to pay taxes on those but the newer stuff that i buy where it's like it's close or it's just a little bit of a profit or or options look with options you're going to pay gains no matter what so i i take gains very liberally on options um you still doing those 2024s jeremy I will be. I haven't bought one yet, but they just they just came out this past week. And so I'm obviously, uh, you know, we'll be buying over the next couple of weeks. I never buy the very first week it comes out because you kind of get a little jacked on pricing, in my opinion. If you buy the very first week, you got to you got to let things settle down, see where the volume's at and things like that. Let the sellers come in. Right. Yeah. 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 You get, you get a, you get a little action in there. You don't want to be the first guy to, to buy it. Let's put it that way. But um, yeah, I mean, what do you think here, Kevin? I mean, you know, I was kind of diving into, you know, how this could potentially bleed into the U S market. If all of a sudden we're talking about, it starts negatively affecting crypto and then folks don't have as much money. And then, you know, it's just, what do you think about that possibility? Yeah, well, I mean, crypto, without a doubt, because all it takes, I mean, people liquidate uh, crypto all the time to pay for other things. So when you have issues in uh, in China, yeah, you're going to get crypto liquidations and those are going to lead to uh, defaults like margin calls uh, and then forced liquidations, not just choice liquidations, but forced liquidations. In fact, uh, I think it was yesterday, it was like 520 or something PM, there was a big like three to $400 million liquidation event on, on margin calls. And it's just like, oh, well, that sucks. It's, don't trade on debt for, for crypto. But there are a lot of companies, a lot of institutions that are just leveraged up to the yin yang on on uh, on crypto, uh, which I, I always recommend people stay away from debt on crypto. But hey, whatever, I think those, uh, um, like my, my favorite time to buy crypto is when I see crypto gets smashed by margin calls and the price falls, then I, you could just Google it, you know, uh, Bitcoin liquidations or whatever. There are plenty of charts that come up and I love seeing, oh, big spike in liquidations and a dip because then I know it's not the coins fault. It's idiots faults who took out too much debt. And it's like the perfect opportunity to buy. It's like literally somebody waving a flag going black Friday sale and it ain't your fault. <laughs> Yeah. What are you guys buying? Are we getting into that? So that's that's crypto. Um, But look, regarding the stock market and all this, the stock market's going to keep getting bid up the way Graham talked about. I really don't think we're going to see any kind of, uh, you know, impact from the Evergrande issues here in the United States. It's... I'm not worried about it at all. I'm just more worried about where I'm going to get the best dip. <laughs> and and they're going to be small dips. They're not even going to be good dips is the problem. But uh, what am I buying? At 40% Cardano, 40% Ethereum, 20% Bitcoin. Nice. 
It's my my new spread, my new so, pie. Kevin, why do you think the market's then going to fall? Because I've watched your previous videos. We don't think Evergrande's mm-hmm. going to have a, an impact on the U.S. market, which honestly I don't think so either. I tend right. to agree. It's probably going to be a week or two, maybe three mm-hmm. at the most. And it's going to blow over. We're going to worry about the next thing. Why do you think the market is uh, going to go down? Well, I think we're going to have a kind of like the next two or three weeks are going to be a lot like this. Uh, and it's it's just fear, uncertainty, and doubt about the presence or the potential of Evergrande issues. The potential of Evergrande issues is more damaging than the actual reality of Evergrande issues. It was the same thing as we saw with the election last year. It's like the potential of a contested election is much more damaging than the actual result of a contested election. The stock market is always trying to price this crap in. But it's not just that. I mean, look at all the catalysts you've got. It's Evergrande. You've got uh, the uh, Federal Reserve tomorrow releasing the new summary of economic projections. They are coming out with uh, whether or not they're going to taper tomorrow, which the answer is going to be no. They'll probably taper in November. But then we're going to get to break down every word that Jerome Powell says about how hawkish or dovish is he, right? That creates uncertainty. So it's Evergrande. It's the Federal Reserve. It's the debt ceiling in the budget. It's the infrastructure plan. What kind of taxes are we going to see? All of this crap, this like S-storm of, of garbage is going to be a disaster for the next two or three weeks. I expect the stock market to do a lot of this. And I think there'll be great opportunities to buy and, and lower cost basis in during these opportunities. And, uh, and and by October 15th, I expect almost all of this is going to be blown over. We'll know what infrastructure packages we're going to get. We'll know about the debt ceiling and, and the uh, uh, you know budget. Uh, we'll know about Jerome Powell. Uh, we'll know about October 13th CPI data when we're, when we're expecting to see an inflection to the downside. Uh, so the next few weeks are just the next three weeks are really just going to be hurry up and wait and buy the dip in the meantime. I'm just looking for the best dip. Uh, I was really hoping this entire week would have been a dip, but no, we got a day and it got bought up. It started getting bought up 30 minutes before the close. It was just like, well, this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall. He knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Well, so (laughs) let me me get this right. So you guys think basically the Evergrande situation is just kind of like a blowover thing, like very low probability it has any major effect. 
Yes. I, yeah, I agree with what Kevin said. I think the fear of what could happen is going to be a lot worse than what actually happens. Yeah. Right is now, there any other fear? They usually tend to price in the worst possible case scenario. Is there any other so index that we could that look at? That kind of happening is probably pretty slim. Is there any other index that we could look at that kind of shows us how integrated this whole thing is, other than the CDS, the credit default swap thing? Uh, that would be a good thing to know. I don't know. Other than that, I, I agree with you guys too. I don't think this is going to be so, anything. Say that again. What was another what? The credit default swap index is the closest measure that I was able to find that shows us how contagious this thing is. Hmm. Other than that, I don't know of any other uh, data that we could look at in real time and kind of see. I really like Barron's. And uh, I actually subscribe to Barron's and I get their paper every Saturday. And it's it's the one that I really look forward to getting. It's so good. Uh, and, uh, you know, if that's the only thing they're pointing at, I, I would trust them. Uh, and from based on this article, you're tracking contagion. Really, what they're doing is they're, they're just zooming in on that credit default swap pricing. Uh, and that's it. Uh, mm -hmm. you, I think if anybody would know, it'd be somebody like Barron's that would give us some more insight. To me, that's just an indicator of... We... <laughs> right. And did you throw that up on the screen last time, Kevin? It was like a right now, for anybody who isn't listening to, or who isn't watching to this, it's like a small little blip. It's, it's not even really registering too much. So okay. hopefully this is kind of the, the peak of that. Yeah, it is again. And... Uh, What's interesting, though, to me is that this has been uh, I mean, this is October 2020. So you probably have the recession uh, leading uh, ending, leading this all to kind of come back down to normal, maybe. And so you had this low here on September 17th of 30 on this index here, and it just shot up basically to 34.6. And so, Andre, you're saying this is a sign of potentially distress as basically people are trying to get insurance policies or credit Correct. default. But I'm just saying. I'm just saying in, in relation to how high it is to everything else, it's, it's just a small blip on the radar, hoping that it doesn't right, go okay. up from here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point because, I mean, look, we, we were, we've been at these numbers <laughs> like plenty of yeah. times before. You're right. It's not like this, this just shot up to like the highest number we saw on the chart here in the last year. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree uh, with you guys. Yeah. You know, you, so you agree, Andre. You know what's interesting I, I, is – Oh, the only say, thing I'm scared of, sorry, sorry to interrupt. The, the only thing I'm scared of is I, I, the only thing that's scary to me is just the crypto markets. It's just how stress testing the crypto markets. The rest of the markets, real estate stocks, I 100% agree with you guys. It's going to be like nothing. But crypto, on the other hand, and the whole tether situation is the only thing that's having me worried. I think something much bigger has to happen to affect tether. I think this would be a blip for tether too. Hmm. Okay. Unless listen, unless there's something we don't know about Tether, and somehow they're they're intermediate, which is everything. Evergrande. I mean, <laughs> well, see, you know, the, the thing that is interesting to me about this Evergrande situation is it, it's kind of come out of nowhere for the most part, right? Um, and we we've been thinking and talking for a long time, almost years, of like what could come out of nowhere and take us out. And the Roni Rona was that thing, right? It was like a once in a hundred year, you know, pandemic, but the Fed backstopped everything. It gave a perfect excuse to throw stimulus money out there. Let's make, you know, people not have to pay their rent. Let's do whatever it takes, right? And everybody said, okay, that's fine because we're in a once in a hundred year health event, right? And it almost has the vibe of something that 
maybe maybe it has a much bigger effect than a lot of people realize because it comes out of nowhere. And, um, you know, because literally you start thinking about it, and it's like, what could what could actually be the trigger? What could be the spark that that really hurts us? Because we haven't been hurt since 2008, 2009. What happened last year in 2020? That was like two seconds and it was over. Right. Because of what the Fed did. And, and, and you know, it was right back up. And now look at there's jobs everywhere. Wages have gone way up. There's, there's obviously been massive inflation. Stocks are at right around record highs as far as the indices. Large caps are at their highest valuations they've been at since the tech bubble. And it, it, it feels like something's going to be the spark to light the fire, right? Maybe True. this is it. Maybe it's not. But usually it comes out of nowhere when, when people aren't expecting it. And I, I, don't I do agree with you on, 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 on that. It usually does come out of nowhere. But look, we had the Archegos thing. You guys remember that? The, the yeah. overleveraged. Uh, that came out of nowhere. And that didn't really hurt us at all. So... This could be one of the, you know, another one of those. The, yeah, but that was, that, that was really small numbers, if I remember. You know, it, it, I don't even think it's remotely close to the whole, the, you know, $300 billion of de debt that's potentially in default, never mind the dominoes that could play out from there. And, right. um, you know, so I don't know. I think that's something to absolutely be aware of. I think it's more of a threat than anything we've probably had recently, other than Roni Rona going crazy again. But, you know, everybody's just kind of pushed that off to the side, like, ah, whatever, you know, the numbers can go super high. We don't see it. We don't see it this time. But, um, well, you know, Jim Cramer is saying that uh, you should take your profits. <laughs> you should sell your crypto. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. Jim Cramer and Kevin are, are right, right in line. They both say sell stocks, go cash. They're there. They see eye to eye perfectly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Insiders. <laughs> oh gosh, but any, anywho, guys, I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting to see. You know. Um, and the, the crazy thing is, it's it's playing out in China, and none of us really know. Uh, to the full extent, how bad it will get because things just, you know, they're not reported. You know, it's hard to even find out what properties these companies own. You know what I mean? Like it's such a black box and that's what I think is, is the scariest part of it. So. Hmm. It's interesting that you mentioned the size of Archegos. Yeah. That was a $2.8 billion bailout they needed, which in fairness, $2.8 billion. And that created some heart palpitations. That's pretty small relative. I mean, that's 1% of the $300 billion of debt uh, this ever uh, Evergrande is now defaulting on. Uh, it, it A little update just came through here. China's Evergrande onshore property unit said it negotiated a plan with bondholders to repay the interest due September 23rd without clarifying the terms of the arrangement. Apparently, the interest on this 2025 bond is 5.8%. And they had to pay $35.9 billion to stay current on it. So, I mean, that should take off some pressure, at least right now, that they were able to negotiate with, with their bond folks. Here's the private market. Yeah, but where I do see getting, tomorrow. Where are they getting tomorrow the Tomorrow is be a scary day for crypto. Uh, that's for the 23rd. Yeah. No, what I'm saying, day. leading up to the 23rd is going to be a lot of fear about whether or not they can make that payment. Well, I, they just said they were going to make that payment. Well, they could say anything. <laughs> <laughs> said it negotiated a plan to repay the interest due on the 23rd. You know what? Apparently there's what something. They also said during the lead up to all of this that they were fine. They didn't have any issues and there's also nothing true. to worry about. And that was a right. month. That was like a hey, month ago that they said that. Yeah. And, and remember what happened with the Bear Stearns situation. 
I don't know if you guys remember that back in 2007, 2008. It was like, oh, they're fine. I remember even Kramer went on TV. He's like, oh, you know, everything's fine. Next minute, it's like bankruptcy. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's true, too. They, they did, and they did miss their payments on Monday. It's worth noting. So it's like they obviously are willing to, you know, I mean, they're, they're basically bankrupt. <laughs> they're, they're just surviving by a little hair here, I feel like. Graham, and you were going to ask a question. What was that question you were going to ask there? Oh, um. I was going to ask, where are they getting the money? Um, if, if they're mm. sell, if they're selling bonds, who who's buying those bonds? I just the government, I, to my understanding, it's like throwing good money after bad. <clears throat> Isn't the no, government? It's, it's not them up? selling bonds. These are the existing bonds. So they're just making. It's like making a mortgage payment. Right. I, but I don't. That is a good question. I don't know where. Yeah, it says here they did not clarify uh, that you know where where they were getting this thirty five point nine million dollars from. Hmm. I'm betting you it's the government helping them out. I don't <laughs> think the government's going to let them fail. You think they could do that secretly? Or they could just under the table? Like, yes, China. <laughs> make you look bad. Yes. Don't tell us. Slip yes. a little money. Yes. Here's enough just to get you through. You're going to slowly wind down. Uh-huh. Give us 50% equity of your company or else. <laughs> Listen, yes. I, yeah, would not, I would not be surprised if they silently got involved. And then help them just unwind a little bit. Make it bad enough. Here's, they feel some pain, but but they're okay. Here's the red envelope. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> With a little dragon on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah That's I, awesome. I, okay, I, so. I can totally see that. What, what else? Well, I uh, I bought some Ethereum today. Oh, so that, was, that was exciting. I bought a, a love Ethereum. What price? I saw it dip under three thousand. Yeah, I bought it at twenty-seven, I believe. Twenty-seven. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Great price. So you bought in lower than me. I bought in at like twenty-nine, twenty, twenty-nine something this morning. I think. That's still good. So the twenty-nine. Hey, yeah. but check it out. Two ninety-nine on Party City. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hopefully when I was showing that chart, I imagine when I was showing that chart, my my, I was probably cut off a bit, huh? <laughs> no, no, it was good. It was good. Oh, okay. Yeah. Jeremy, so, what are you buying? What am I buying? <laughs> Teslas? I'm not buying. I'm buying diaper companies. I'm no. buying food companies. I'm buying anything that's a uh, recession place. That's that's what I'm buying. What so. Recession place? What? Jeremy, what got, do you think is going on with wind? Can you explain this? That's wind. another Chinese mess. Wind That's is something I admit that uh, I've been trying to catch the falling knife on that. And uh, it dipped under 100. This is, I don't know, uh, two weeks ago, something like this. But in a little bit. And then it dipped under, what, 90? I was like, oh, this is pretty good. But in a little bit more. So now under 80, I mean, at what, at what price do you, do you say, like, listen, now it's worth the risk? Uh, it's hard for me to buy. It's another China mess. I don't know. They're so uh, impractical over there right now. I don't know. What if they don't give Wynn their gaming concessions in Macau? Macau usually right, makes up 60, 70% of, of Wynn's revenue. The Vegas property is amazing. It's the strongest it's pretty much ever been in the history of the Vegas properties. Boston's uh, you know, doing great from my understanding. But when you get 60% of your revenue, if not more than that, from Macau, and you have all this uncertainty in Macau, and then you have the potential fear of what happens if this 
Evergrande situation gets a lot worse, takes down suppliers, takes down the real estate market. What's that mean for the wealthy in China? Are they going to be dropping a million dollars on a weekend in the VIP rooms at Wynn? You know, maybe that slows down a little bit, right? Um, even though that's been dead for two years now since Roni Ronas took off, right? And so it's so hard for me to invest in something I don't trust. And I don't trust China right now. And I don't trust anything that's going on there. And so that's what makes me look at a stock like Baba or Wynn. Um, that are look like they're a great deal for a long-term investor. But if I don't trust it, I can't buy it, right? Baba looks like the greatest steel deal ever. It looks actually actually, actually a way better deal than even win, but I don't trust it. I don't trust anything out of China right now. Just but Jer out. Jeremy, don't you have a pretty substantial position in both win and Baba? No, I have no Baba shares. I used to, but um, I took the profit and ran out of that a couple of years ago when Trump in China started getting rough. I think it might okay. have been, I don't know, 2018, 2019, something like that. When I still hold shares in, I got a decent position in that, but I can't um, buy more shares right now. because. What's your I, cost basis? I, I, I'll look it up right now and find out. I'm, I've, I remember, I think we were talking in June for Millennial Money, and I remember talking about the win, and I remember we were... Graham was like, yeah, I'm going to buy more if it dips below 100. And I was like, oh, I want that stock. And <laughs> man, when, when I'm still up on, but only 8% now. I don't know if you guys can wow. see that up there. So, um, okay. yeah, and another 4% drop here today. So, my so cost base is roughly, let's roughly see. around there. Yeah, my tax like lot. Like 70s. Yeah, my tax lot 70. Well, let's see. I got I got it all over the place 74, 68, 73, 71, 71. So, wow. But okay. yeah, it keeps going. Next thing you know, I'll be down on that one. So, but, um, so maybe it's a good time to buy in for people like me who have not had it yet. Well, if you trust China, do you trust China, Andre? What are the chances <sighs> that they're not going to renew Macau? That seems like it seems more like a negotiation tactic to like right before negotiating or right before it's expiring, be like, all right, now we want to cut down yeah. on this. And then they negotiate a better deal when it's like, no, 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 okay, okay, fine, fine. It just seems like nope. negotiations. Yeah, it's a low. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like it's probably only a 40% chance China was to say, you're not getting your, your gaming licenses, right? Like lower probability than they say, say it is, right? But um, the, the other issue is now they're talking about potentially only giving two-year concessions. So meaning every two years, you have to try to re-get your licenses again, which oh, if wow. that happens, that puts even more uncertainty in the stock because then every you know two years, you're like, are we going to get our licenses again? Or did we do something wrong? Are they going to take them? Um, or are they going to force us into a situation where we have to give money? Uh, you know, back in, I think it was 2011 or 2012, Steve Wynn gave $120 million to the Macau University. Like, come on. You know wow. what I mean? Like, yeah. he, he knew how to play the game. Like, you know, he, right. come on. Oh, yeah. He, he loves the Macau University, 120 mil. Like, why not give that money to UNLV where he actually lives? Right. But, anyways, so that's what it comes down to. It comes down to trust. And trust is everything when you're investing, right? Like, kind of like you guys trust that, you know, anything under 50 trillion is a great deal for Bitcoin, um, you know, so, you know. <laughs> oh, so funny. <laughs> I don't know. I could just imagine like government officials in China being like, all right, uh, win, sell, article, publish. <laughs> it's just like, I just totally see it. <laughs> and then after the article publishes, buy. buy. Back exactly. on her statement, work it out. And then when yeah. it goes back up, sell. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I well, personally, I, I was looking at Win too, and I was thinking, 
that uh, yeah, it, it is somewhere around what 55, 60. I can't remember somewhere around 55, 60 percent uh, of wins revenues coming from that Macau region. Maybe it was even a little bit more. I can't remember exactly. But so what I was thinking is, uh, I would discount that portion of their company net worth by another 50% for the risk of what's happening in China. So in other words, if it's a $100 stock, uh, I'm taking off 50% of that about 50%. So I'm thinking, hey, if this is under 70, 75, I'd probably buy it at that point. <laughs> that's All just right. like the rough quick math I did. I did on that's that's like, brutal. 50 bucks, man. Well, like 70 to 75. That's, that's right. Yeah. If everyone's waiting for 50, there's going to be people buying it up at 60 and 65. I don't know if it's going to go down that low, but we'll see. We can come back to this. Yeah, I like Kevin's, I like Kevin's um, way of thinking there around that and kind of discounting that and um, kind of figuring out the numbers. And I'll tell you guys another good thing in relation to when is the way they structure that company. If hypothetically, um, you know, let's say Macau didn't you know, re-up the, the, the gaming licenses or something crazy happened like that, right? The debt when is taken out on the Macau side is not recourse to the parent company. Ooh. So meaning they, if they went bankrupt for something in, in, in the Macau market, right? That doesn't come back on the parent company. So, that, you know, Steve Wynn did a very smart structure when he set that up because I think he foresaw that this might be an issue someday. Maybe it's not, yeah. but he, he structured it in a very intelligent way. And so that if you want it's a little comfort, that's your comfort there. That's awesome. Good job, that's man. That's that's a, that's a great, great find. Uh, How'd you yeah, find that? Uh, you, uh, 10Ks and, and 10Qs and things okay. like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll try. I'll pull it up. But uh, here's um, just for what it's worth. This during the more scary times during covid uh, wind fell down briefly here to 36 uh, look at it sort of dance right here at 68 to 70 bucks this sort of blue line that i've got here it danced a lot over here with the exception of in, in the beginning of june all the recovery stocks were taken off again people like covid's over covid's over until of course we had our covid winter and then things started going up again once we had the vaccines but look at this we're going back to that blue line in, in my opinion we get to that blue line. I don't know. That's that's another way of me looking at this going, ah, you know, so if I discount that Chinese side, 50% of that happening, that's 70 to $75 value. I, I Then I look at the chart and from a technical analysis point of view, 67, 69, of course it's 69. But anyway, uh, <laughs> this it, that's juicy. I, I don't know. It starts looking really good. I, I don't own any win, but it's definitely one I'm looking at almost every day. The, the yeah. thing that interests me a lot more in regards to when, when you, when you think about it from that context is, you know, um, let's say I was thinking about putting a quarter million win, right? Well, rather than buy a quarter million worth of win stock, I would actually much rather buy um, 30K or 50K worth of win 2024 call options. And the reason being is you're going to know, you know, over the next year or two, if obviously if Wynn gets their gaming licenses and everything, you know, is fine there. Right. And so I'd much rather take that level of risk. And then if everything's fine, boom, Wynn stock all of a sudden is at 120, 130, 140. You make great on that. Right. If it's not great, you lose your money anyways. Right. But you, you went in with a lot less capital in case things obviously went down. Right. Cause it wins likely going to be one of those stocks, especially if it keeps going down, it's either going to move up huge and go up hundred percent or 200% over the next year or two, or it's likely going to be, you know, uh, a devastated stock. It is likely no in between for win over the next one to two years. So, mm. 
And and kind of makes me think about that in regards to Baba also. So that's a good point. I actually like that. See, like when you've got something, when you have a catalyst event that's keeping a stock down or it's depressing a stock, even for example, look at uh, Activision Blizzard and all this nonsense about this SEC investigation going on now. And and I don't want to say what they're investigating is nonsense because that could be a big issue, uh, the, the sexual rights and assault violations and that. I'm just saying the stock market nonsense around that, the stock is falling. Uh, and, you know, the thing's down like 20% in the last, uh, what, couple months or something like that. But anyway, uh, the point is, I actually like what you're saying, Jeremy, in stocks where they've had some sort of recent big negative news, you put a call option on a $40,000, uh, $50,000, now you've actually limited your risk versus putting $200,000 of stock on to where you're really just waiting for that moment where that that uh, catalyst event goes away. And then you're going to get a nice movement either up or down in either the stock uh, or, of course, in your case, the, the derivative, the call option. I like that for that. I'd be more worried about like law 2024 call options on Tattooed Chef and then the thing trades sideways. There's no like crazy catalyst holding it down. If Tattooed Chef got had like a Citron report put out tomorrow and the thing went to $9, Dude, I'd be right there with you loading up on yeah. calls because it's like it's going to be bull crap and it's going to it's going to go away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. In order to really do those calls, I, I feel like you have to feel like the pricing is silly. Um, yeah. Texas Chef, I don't feel like that. Corsair Gaming is a stock. I do feel like that. Right. Where it's hard mm-hmm. for me to imagine that one not beasting over the next couple of years. But it's it's low growth and it's product sales. It's not like a SaaS. You know, if it was a SaaS, it'd be different. Yeah, but that valuation, man, it's gotten so pushed down. I feel like it has nowhere to go but up. But we'll, we'll okay. see, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see. But, but yeah, but so I mean, why not shares on that one? Because look, look what is it? It's twenty seven dollars now. You'd be paying almost ten dollars for a, a twenty twenty four call contract on it. That's as if you're paying, you know, thirty seven bucks for the thing. Uh, you know, I'd rather buy it at twenty seven and then then ride it to thirty seven and then dump it at thirty seven. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I own a lot of shares in that one too. So I, I like to sometimes play it both ways, you know, where okay. it might be some calls, give me a little more upside exposure. Right. And yeah. then, you know, have a big position as well. So, but um, you know, something like, let's say Apple stock, I think that's a stock that if you told me, would I buy 2024 calls or the stock straight up, I'm buying the stock straight up. Cause I think there's also a decent probability Apple might not go nowhere for the next one to two years. Right. Yeah. Okay, that um, I completely agree with. Yeah. Same thing with Google, Microsoft, any, you know, Maybe even Amazon a little bit, although I feel like Amazon's, you know, uh, you know, maybe has a little more upside potential. But, you know, um, the bean down dogs, it's, it's compelling, man. It really is. So I'm still. I'm Andre, still Graham. I'm listening. No, I, listen, I, I would agree with you, Kevin. I don't know. To me, the call options seem a little bit riskier. I do agree that in the event to trade sideways, you're kind of screwed. I'd. I've never really experimented with the options before. I just buy the shares and hold them. So I can't really comment on that. But I will say that I am tempted to buy a little bit of win and at least just dollar cost average into it. I think especially if they uh if 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 they're able to do online gambling, and I think that's really where things are gonna go, then the then the possibility is really just that the sky is the limit on that. Yeah. Um was there a way, by the way, to convert my my options to shares without actually selling them, or is that do I have to like actually sell them? You you would have to wait till expiration, Andre. Gotcha. So, 
Yeah. Well, but, I mean, uh, if, if you're in the money, you can exercise them. So like if you have a $50 call and, and the stock's at $60, you can exercise and get your shares right away. But I don't know why you would do that. I, I mean, the only reason you would do that is if for the potential tax advantage of not paying gains on the option. But but then you're giving up your extrinsic value, which is basically, I call it the, the hopium price, right, of, of what somebody else is willing to pay you. You would mm -hmm. lose that. Uh, so like you your contract- would just keep it in, You would keep it in, in, uh, in options. No, I would I would sell the contract. So oh, like if I had a fifty dollar contract or uh, you know a contract with a fifty dollar strike, like here I had Google at two thousand dollars, and uh, I, I put like two hundred grand into it. Uh, and Friday I'm like, my gosh, this thing's like four hundred grand now. It, it essentially doubled, and uh, it doubled even though the stock moved from two thousand to twenty eight hundred, which isn't a double. The option doubled because the option's essentially a form of leverage, right? Uh, so I'm not going to exercise because I'm going to get paid more money than that $800 difference that I would gain uh, by, by exercising to get the shares. If I exercise, I get $800 worth of extra equity, right? Uh, I, I could get way more than that selling the contract. Just for example, it was probably something like 1500 bucks because somebody was willing to pay me for that contract for that time hopium, basically. Uh, and so right. I, I'd much rather, I, I would not exercise. I would never exercise a contract. Mm, okay, that's that's a good point. So yeah, I would I would love to do that actually. Uh, I don't know at what point though. If it now is a good point, or what should I it? wait? What do you have? I don't have any win. Oh oh oh! You're saying you want to buy a call contract and then just figure yes. out what you want to do in the future with it? Okay okay okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yep. for win. The, the the more dangerous play with maybe more reward potential if you're looking to be live on the crazy side is uh, Las Vegas Sands. They really played themselves because they sold their Las Vegas properties of Venetian and Palazzo. And now they're basically all in Asia. <laughs> and they have so many properties in Macau. And uh, that that's one that is, is you know, I think at their 52-week low right now, where wind's not at their 52-week low, because it's, it's a very dangerous play. But you got to think, like, if things, you know, smooth out in Macau and everything's okay, that one has more upside, but that one's, uh, you're living, you're living really dangerously with, with yeah. the same. Uh, I'd rather stick to the wind. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, um, uh, end phase was the other company that you had mentioned that I started buying about one fifty again. And that wasn't that originally, I think, I think I bought it like 40 bucks. Oh yeah. $38, $40. I had not bought any since then. And it dipped to about 150. I started buying back in. Nice, nice. Yeah, that one is uh, one of the few, in my opinion, that's kind of being left behind uh, of, of all of the latest sort of tech rallying that we have been seeing. Uh, and part of that, I think, is really, to me, it's just a chip shortage play. Like, they have so many customers. Tesla just got out of the way, which is beautiful. Like, I can't believe Tesla ended their subscription. Well, I, I can believe it because I don't think they were making money on it. But them ending their subscriptions for solar, I think, is like the biggest boon for, for Enphase. So I'm I think I'm at like 1.3 or something in Enphase. Uh, I'm down to make that like a two or three million dollar position. So I'm just kind of buying wow. the dip one. <laughs> Jeez. So you, at you, what point, Kevin, are you buying more Enphase? Now, today. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, What's that? 155, 150. Like I bought some at 152 and 155 today. Uh, and, uh, you know, I hit 149. Uh, I wasn't looking at the. I usually don't do limit. I mean, I would do limit orders when I'm watching, but I usually don't set it and forget it kind of thing because I do forget. <laughs> uh, so usually uh, when, I, when I buy stocks, I'm, I'm literally at the computer and I see it falling. So, um, 
That's what I saw what, there. What, what's, their, uh, what's their market cap and their revenue growth and their uh, current revenue? Oh, their growth is insane. I'll, I'll, I'll pull it up for you exactly. But the, the big thing that you want to think about is they work with private installers. Oh, is the term? It's still up. Okay, yeah. They work with private installers uh, on, uh, on, on installing micro inverters. So it's a type of inverter for solar systems. They're really good uh, because they're low maintenance. They uh, detect issues with individual panels, which most larger in inverters don't. Uh, panels are already virtually maintenance free. You get a little inverter per each solar panel, lets you do some, uh, it, it, it's really good for shade as well. Like for example, some parts of the day you'll have like a chimney that shades one solar panel. And then if you have certain types of inverters, you lose an entire channel of them. So anyway, they've got this really innovative product. There's virtually no competition for it other than the cheaper regular inverters from companies like Solar Edge. Not trying to bag on them. They do good inverters too. I own a little bit of them. But anyway, so in terms of financial analysis, uh, they are, they're not cheap because of their growth. So they're expected to grow at a 35% in 2022 uh, and 30% uh, in 23 and then 20% thereafter. So you've still got a nice wow. growth curve. You're in that green uh, energy space. They're profitable. They're expensive right now. I think they're they're probably selling for something like 80 times or whatever current 2021 earnings. But uh, in terms of a green play, it's right there with Tesla for me. Mm, wow. Interesting. Yeah. So less growth in Tattooed Chef. Thanks for that, Kevin. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Less growth in a food company. Awesome. Sounds like a good one. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's really easy to grow when you barely have any revenues because doubling it is still a drop in the bucket. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what's the price to sales ratio of that one? I would love to hear that. Uh, let's tell you. Uh, so, yeah, revenues. Uh, let's see. Revenues 2021. Uh, oh, almost 1337. Almost 1.337 wow. uh, billion. Wow. And uh, it's like a $20 billion market cap. Uh, that's uh, yeah, 2022 estimates, almost 2 billion. So there you go. Okay. Yeah. So hot, much higher price to sales ratio than tattoo chef with less growth. Awesome. Thanks for that, Kevin. <laughs> Thumbs up. Sorry. It doesn't, doesn't matter to me because we got margin unlike yours. <laughs> yeah. And, and all these, sol yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Uh, so I what, like other, stock, what other good stock? What other good stock? End phase to uh, to tattooed chef, but uh, we, we we'll have to we'll have to do a whole video on that. You, you try really to sell can't. your frozen foods outside no, of you, pandemic. You, you really can't. You really can't compare them. You know, with all these you know subsidies that all these uh, towns are doing and whatnot to try to boost solar. Yeah, you can't really compare them. You don't like solar, do you? I, I well. I'm just waiting for one of these companies to actually be at a fair valuation and actually make a lot of money. And I, I just haven't seen it. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's, that's why you've been short in Tesla. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, all right. No, and and then also what, what, what's Tesla doing solar wise? You know what I mean? Like, are they not a threat? No, no, but that's what I was just saying is Tesla's, uh, te Tesla had this really awesome solar subscription model, which I was going to try to, I wanted to put it on every single one of my rental properties, but then I decided not to because they wanted us to upgrade all the roofs and I barely replaced roofs. So anyway, uh, they had this thing where you could buy the whole solar panel system or basically lease it for like $50 a month. It was insane. They were basically doing it as a lost leader to sell the battery packs. And then people were signing up for it, not buying the battery packs. So then they're like, fine, you can only get our solar panel if our solar panel system, if you get the battery. 
Uh, and then they just killed the whole thing together. So I think their their, their whole solar, uh, you know, competitiveness just just fell a little bit. So Elon Musk couldn't figure out solar, but the guys over there at Enphase, they got it unlocked. Well, see, Enphase doesn't do solar panels. And that's what's so beautiful about them is they do high margin, high quality inverters. That's the cool thing. They're not doing the panels because the panels, look, China can make those dirt cheap. Uh, and they do. Uh, panels are super, super competitive, very, very low margin products. These inverters, that's where the dollars are. Hmm. And you don't think Tesla's ever going to try to get into the inverter business? In any of course, they they actually just ended their partnership with Solar Edge because they're making their own inverter. But again, their big sales pitch for getting people to use their their uh, the solar systems just went away. So yeah, look, Tesla's going to be a competitor. There's no doubt about that. But I've always been investing in Enphase, knowing that they're a competitor. Mm. Well, in a way, Kevin, you're yeah, almost great. edged because you invest in Tesla. So if yeah. Tesla does well, you're good oh. there. Enphase does well, you're good there too. So really, no this matter will be what a great happens, money uh, millennial money clips. <laughs> well, yeah. So and what happens? Is buy fifty percent Enphase, buy fifty percent Tattoo Chef. Battle settled. <laughs> buy both. It, it, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, where margins are at longer term. Does Tesla ever come out with a potentially better product and want to kill off margins there? Because let's say Tesla's you know, car business gets a lot more profitable. I don't know. You know, there's just some food for thought. I'm not saying it's 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 bad. Yeah, or something, yeah but. just just in fairness to EBITDA margin for uh, Tattooed Chef, negative 17.5%. Next year, negative 1.7%. 2023, maybe 3.8%. That's EBITDA margin. That's what they're taking to the bottom line. Bottom line, you're barely making money at Tattooed Chef. That's how, why you're comparing. That's why you're giving me top line numbers because your bottom line doesn't stand for crap. You how look long at has Tattooed Chef bottom line. been around for? Tattooed Chef has mm -hmm. been around for like 15, what, more than 15 no. years. It's no. just their how? individual branded line has been around short. Exactly. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that. Uh, Enphase's bottom line, they're taking 21 to $23 to the bottom line, and that's growing. So you got to keep that comparison in mind as well. Yeah, look, Tattooed Chef is a little startup in, in terms of the actual brand itself. Their company, they've been manufacturing, you know, frozen foods forever. And apparently they failed so miserably at doing that that now they got to go make their own brand. <laughs> Their own line oh. of freezer foods. Oh, uh, and, uh, yeah, their, their, their little freezer food experiments uh, not going to do well, especially not with those uh, those um, uh, tattooed commercials they do, which make it sound like I'm watching a dentist drill commercial. But anyway, I just thought, you know, we mentioned that. Yeah, 62% revenue growth isn't as strong as 35%. You're right, Kevin, 100%. Yeah, yeah I, I love a growing company that just throws more and more money out the window every week. <laughs> More and more money. What? You're talking crazy, Kevin. Graham and Andre, don't you have an opinion here? You're on my side, right? No, no, I love this. Throwing away Jeremy's money. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> I like that. That's not their own money. Oh, oh man. This is going to be fun. To oh, look, it's 715. All right. All right, guys. Thank you so much for watching. By the way, we got a clips channel down below in the description. Make sure to do your part. Subscribe to that. Hit the like button. Subscribe here, by the way. If you haven't done that already, it's super easy. Totally free to do. Just hit the little button. Before you forget, we go live every single week. Thank you so much for watching. All the information's in the description. Until next time. Peace. Awesome. See ya.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.